Hi, I'm Ali Maldro, the host of A Public Affair on Tuesdays. You can listen to this show any day of the week, any hour of the day on the WORT smartphone app or on wortfm.org. If you love what you hear, click that donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. Good afternoon, Madison. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. Madison, I'm your host, Ali Muldrow, and this is a public affair. This week, students at East High School were going to hold a drag show, but when right-wing social media accounts caught wind of the event, it was postponed for safety. Today on the show, we have drag performers, Anya Nees, Thundercat, Bianca Breeze, East High School parent Pam Bunt, and MTI, MTI's Natasha Sullivan. Uh, I want to thank you all for, for joining us today. Um, and, and being part of this conversation. And if you are out there and you want to be part of this conversation, you're curious about drag, you have questions about drag, you have an opinion about drag, we want to hear from you. The number is 608-256-2001, extension 9. Huge shout out to Ben and Jade for pulling this show together today. Y'all are the best. Pam, I want to start out with you because you're kind of one of the folks who is closer to this event. Why was it important to your student to have a drag show at East High School? Um, I think the biggest reason was to to have fun. Like this was something that the GSA decided to do and everybody got behind it and pulled it together really quickly. And it was about both having fun, but also just getting to experience what dragons like. Oh, thank you so much for, for talking to that. And how's your student responding to the the postponing of this show that they poured, you know, time and energy into? Sure. They were definitely upset, angry that other people caused this to be postponed. Um, it, it sounds like they got a really clear explanation of, of why and that the, the East is supporting them, but it was definitely a big disappointment. Mm, Bianca, you are a drag performer. How long have you been per- performing drag? When did, when did you discover drag? Um, excuse me. I've been, uh, I've been a performer in the area since 2012. Um, I didn't really discover drag until I was in college. So that would have been in like 2010. Um, so it's been a really crazy thing and I love drag so much. Oh, what, what drew you to drag? Why, why do you perform drag? What drew me to it it was obviously like the the performance aspect of it. Um, I'm a Leo, so I love attention and I love being in front of people. Um, So what better than to, uh, you know, be this awesome, really fun character and lip sync to your favorite Britney Spears songs in front of people, you know? So that's definitely like one of the big reasons why I wanted to do it originally. So what do you what is your response when people make drag into this really controversial thing or this thing that's not appropriate for young people how do you how does that feel for you what is what is your response to that sure so originally like i said originally drag was definitely one of those things that i just wanted to be in the spotlight and i wanted to showcase my art and i wanted to be this really cool person and after the pandemic well still pandemic um when drag started to become popular again, I started hosting bingos solo um, throughout the throughout the city of Madison and in different smaller communities. Um, I found that drag was not just about the performance, but it was about the education of the LGBTQ community. And that is where I feel like me as a drag performer is where I'm best um, put in our community is to educate our community about pronouns, um, about, you know, issues that are happening in the community and things like that. So at a lot of my bingo events, a lot of them are PG. So, and I do make sure and, you know, advertise them as so. Uh, So parents are now bringing their kids to drag bingo events and we're just having like fun outside of what would otherwise be a show where some parents think that, or people think that it's just, men stripping down for some reason. I don't know where that comes from, but it does not happen at my shows. So um, bingo brings a different aspect um, where parents can feel a little bit more comfortable with bringing their kids. Um, no, I try not to swear, <laughs> um, but it's just a fun time to you know 
play bingo. And it's something that every kid knows how to do. I appreciate folks who are sensitive about swearing in front of kids. I constantly have to explain to people that my children grew up listening to hip hop and therefore there's no swear word that they have not already been exposed to via music. Um, but I, I think, right, what's what's OK for one family is is different for another family. What's appropriate in one family is is different. Right. Um, and I think that that's OK as long as what is and isn't appropriate in your family isn't actually the other family you know um and and so i think like you know everybody gets to have their their standards but nobody gets to discriminate against an entire group of people in order to uphold what they think is is age appropriate anya is a, a similar question for you how did you get into drag what does it mean to you to be a, a drag queen and a drag performer and and do you think drag is is okay for young people you were going to participate in the east drag show what made you want to participate um, <laughs> I was going to say that was a lot of questions. Um, what I will say is that um, when it comes to drag, I honestly did not want to be a drag queen. I just remember like seeing Drag Race when I was like in middle school and I was like, oh, this is really, really fun. And then to find out that the majority of the contestants um, were either born or identified as male, I was like, oh, okay. And then obviously, you know, being um, a, a late 90s baby, like I really loved Vessel Raven. Like that was my bread and butter. And I, Raven to me or Raven Simone in that show really showed me like, <clears throat> you can be anything that you wanted to be. Because not only was she a psychic, she was like a fashion designer and, you know, she would dress herself up and she had all these different personas. So that's kind of where I got my love. So like being able to like change the outside to match the inside. So um, as far as drag, um, I didn't really see myself doing drag. I kind of did it on a whim and I got all this attention. And just like Bianca, I'm also a Leo, um, loud and proud. So I love attention, but I'm also the center of attention even when I don't want to be. Um, so that's kind of like those two go hand in hand. And just like, um, I would say like, honestly, like growing up in church, like I've always loved singing, acting, dancing and like performing. So. To me, finding drag was like me being able to be Beyonce for people who can't afford Beyonce and like being hairless in the makeup and sometimes the costume designer. So for oh. me, it's just being able to take everything that I love about art and put it all together and be like the own muse to my creation. Um, and as far as like the show that was supposed to happen that got canceled, um, I wanted to be a part because whether people know it or not, I am a MMSD child. Um, I've lived in Madison since I was nine. I'm originally from Chicago, but as far as like my tentative years, like I grew up in Madison on the west side, on the south side, on the east side, all over. And I was raised in the in the MMSD uh, school district. So for me, it was a way for me to come back and kind of just like show um, like I'm a product of the same environment that a lot of these kids are. And if I can be out here and I've done a lot of stuff uh, with my drag, I'm only 24, but I've been able to like travel around the States. I performed at the last year, I got to perform in uh, halftime for the Milwaukee Bucks game as a drag entertainer with four other black drag entertainers, the first um, all black troupe to do something like that in front Get of thousands it. of people. So, so it was just for me a way to kind of like come back and I performed all over like, I've performed at a church before and um, as far as like, you know, not swearing in front of kids, like they didn't even call me Anya Nese. When I was going by Anya Nese, they called me Miss Anya. So I performed at a church before. I performed at a, I performed at a Verona High School like when I first started like so many years ago. So for me, I was just like, this is a way to kind of just show people like drag queens are more than just like, uh, you know, doing burlesque kind of like numbers are kind of being lewd but like we can, there's more to the art than just the negative that people associate with it thank you so much for talking about how drag is a, a, a truly expansive art form right and it it dabbles in all sorts of expressions of femininity all sorts of expressions of performance and ultimately it is you know what what the performer 
makes it out to be, you know? Um, and so if performers are, are customizing an act to church or customizing an act to a Bucks game, um, that's that's a specific space in a specific arena. Anna, Anya, thank you so much for, for speaking to that. I want to turn now to Natasha Sullivan. Um, Natasha, thank you so much for, for joining us here today on WORT 89.9 FM. Drag has become really controversial, but also supporting LGBTQ youth in general in schools has become really controversial. Across the state of Wisconsin, we're seeing school boards um, abandon policies that protect trans youth. We're seeing school boards um, ban rainbow flags and Black Lives Matter T-shirts. We're seeing folks, you know, intimidate educators who want to support their LGBTQ youth. What is MTI doing to kind of make sure that when a teacher stands up for their students and supports their students, whether it be, you know, in having a GSA or a drag performance, um, that that teacher is is protected and knows that they're not going to, you know, lose their job or, you know, be be kind of thrown under the bus um, in terms of the community? Yeah, I mean, I think the Madison community has a long history of supporting um, all LGBTQ folks in the community. And it's actually one of the reasons that I came out in my district was at the prompting of MMSD. Um, They asked me to participate in the National Coming Out Day video, which was um, ended up being a huge thing for me because I was not out to my coworkers. So there was quite a few people who (laughs) who. found out that I'm queer from from just that video. Um, but you're definitely correct. The the landscape is changing. And um, I can't say that I, I so much understand because these are not political issues. Mm. These are issues of identity. Um, and so it's confusing to me how someone's um, self, someone's personhood has become a political discussion as if it's something that can be negotiated. Um, you know, as a parent, um, I talk to my own children. My children are uh, seven and uh, nine, and they go to a, a school that has the Welcoming Schools program, which if you're not familiar with that, it's a, a program um, somewhat anti-bullying, but specifically focused in supporting LGBTQ youth. Um, and they're perfectly able to have discussions about, you know, gender and sexuality in a really normative way um, that my generation didn't get to do. Um, So it kind of boggles my mind, the idea that that kids can't conceive of these things, that they can't learn, that it's somehow detrimental to them or or somehow changes their sexuality. Um, My despite the fact that they're very comfortable with the LGBTQ community and the fact that their mother is queer, they're very straight. They let me know that at seven and nine. Um, and, you know, so far that they're they're not going to be convinced in any way that somehow they, they aren't. Um, so the idea of somehow, you know, queering your children, if, if, if someone had found a way to do it, I would have done it. Mm-hmm. But but that's not that's not the way that goes. OK, they're not just going to be suggestive to that. So, I, you know, it's MTI has really always been supportive of um, of our teachers and in, in their identities. Um, you know, it's h- difficult for us to serve folks who aren't members because we're really limited in what we can do for them. Um, so it's more reason to be part of your union if you're not. Um, but I mean, I think one of the great things that I love about MTI is they're really putting their money where their mouth is, right? Like just hiring me in this position as a queer Chicana woman is a big deal. Um, I get to come out here and talk to folks about what it's like to make our classrooms more equitable. I get to, um, you know, talk to folks who, who are scared about coming out and, and give them encouragement and have their backs, um, should they should they have any sort of, um, you know, blowback from from conservative conservative community? I think the the blowback right now is is almost inevitable. And I appreciate you talking about this being an issue that's been politicized and been used to divide us. That isn't necessarily a political issue, right? This isn't, you know, I, we don't need our, our government to, to get involved in, you know, the kind of performance art that kids are interested in pursuing at school. And yet that is happening. The other thing I think is interesting about the politics of this current moment is that the same people who think uh, a 14-year-old is too young 
young to attend a drag show are the people who think that were that 14-year-old to be sexually assaulted and impregnated, that 14-year-old should be forced to have that kid, right? So, you know, there's this, like, sex, kids shouldn't know anything about it, um, and that, that conversation is happening, you know, while while Cardi B is at the top of our charts with a song called WAP, you know, um, and, and that conversation is also happening at the same time that that folks lose reproductive freedom. So I'm really interested in, you know, why why drag, which is often a performance of femininity. Um, the, the feminist arguments against drag have, have been pointed out to me a couple times, right? Folks saying drag hypersexualizes women. Pam, I, I want to ask you, you know, as a as a parent whose whose student was prepared to participate in the drag show. Were did you think at any point like, hey, this is this isn't something I had as a kid, or this wouldn't have happened when I was younger, um, and I have a sense of self. I've been able to to be, you know, an adult who's affirmed in my my gender and my sexuality. What is it? What does it mean for you for your kid to be doing this? Um, if drag isn't something you had the opportunity to participate in when you were a kid, I I love that this is something that our kids are able to do. I- it's so important that they, you know, that you can be comfortable being yourself and be accepted and celebrated. And that wasn't something I experienced. Like even just folks that were gay, it was, it was a joke. It wasn't something that people embraced. Like there certainly weren't same sex couples that were going to dances when I was in high school. And, and I actually came out much later in life. Like I was in my thirties before, um, I, I let my family and friends know that I was a lesbian. So I, I think a lot of that is attributed to the fact that I, this wasn't something that people got to talk about or experience. It's maybe something you saw on TV and then somebody was probably making a joke out of it. Well, and the messages I got really clearly as a young person, I grew up on the east side of Madison, Wisconsin, but don't ask, don't tell was, you know, in its heyday. And so the idea that if you're queer, you should hide. Um, If you're queer, you should lie. If you're queer, you should make sure nobody knows about it because it can be used against you. It can be used to stop you from accessing a home or getting a job. Um, And I think, you know, outward displays of, you know, gender nonconformity are, are part of, of keeping the LGBTQ community safe and letting folks know that they do not have to hide. I, I want to ask you, Bianca, because you, you talked about kind of discovering drag um, and, and performing drag. What are the messages you got about the LGBTQ community as a young person? What did you learn about being, you know, a, a member of the queer community at school? So um, I grew up in a really small town in Wisconsin, um, in Southwest Wisconsin. Um, At the time when I was trying to discover my sexuality, um, I knew something was different. And um, there were two lesbians in our high school and they got picked on all the time. People would throw stuff at them. Um, they would have to like hide in their cars on lunch break and things like that. And I just remember that instance and that really pushed me to hide from myself. Um, I didn't end up coming out until I was a junior in high school um, where I only had one more year left. Um, And surprisingly, you know, people younger, which this is really weird to me, but um, the class younger than me is the one that picked on me the most. Um, people in my grade uh, were very supportive and always stuck up for me, um, you know, in anything that had happened. I, I would, uh, I remember one instance where I came um, out from lunch and the word queer was written on my car. So like things like that would happen to me. So which kind of forced me to sort of, you know, hide and bring that, you know, bring that um, my gayness and hide that, you know, like that don't ask, don't tell. So I too grew up around that time. So um, yeah, I just, it was a very difficult time for me in high school. Um, I then went on to college to a local community college where I was, where I actually became the president of the student government um, and brought uh, National Coming Out Day um, to visibility. Um, And the student senate was so supportive 
of, of it. And it was a wonderful time and some staff came out and would come support it. Uh, we did have some, a little bit of um, backlash from it, but they just, all that had needed to happen was they just needed to state their backlash during the Senate. And we voted on, you know, having it as a recognized day at the community college and everything was all well. And it was a wonderful time. We had a lot of people participate in it, a lot of allies, um, which was which was wonderful. So, I mean, things started to progressively get better as I started to discover who I was as a person. But honestly, I mean, I went to school at UW Platteville and I was the president of the Alliance there, which is the gay organization. I didn't really find my true identity until I moved to Madison. And I didn't move to Madison until I was 25. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think it's a powerful thing to go down to like the memories of kids graffitiing your car with with homophobic slurs. Um, and I think, you know, we were next year is the 25 year anniversary of the murder of Matthew Shepard. Um, and I think that we take for granted progress. And I think that we take for granted how dangerous it is to hate people um, and how hurtful and harmful it can be to hate people. And I think if we're promoting schools where every kid feels welcomed and safe and no kid um, is going to be harassed based on their gender, their gender expression or their sexuality, um, I think that there's there's space in our imaginations for, for drag that is appropriate to young people. Anya, I want to ask you a similar question, but before I do, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Ali Maldro, and today we're talking about drag with drag performers Anya Nees, Thundercat, and Bianca Lynn Breeze. We, are also, we also have East High School parent Pam Brandt and MTI's Natasha Sullivan, who is a project lead with the union's Education Justice Center. If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9, or reach out to us on Twitter at W-O-R-T-T-A- WORT Talk or on the Public Affair page on Facebook. Our team today is Engineer Ben, Producer Jade, and News Director Shali. Y'all, jumping back into the conversation, Anya, do you do you remember kind of how you talked a little bit about seeing drag as a young person um, from RuPaul's Drag Race? Do you remember how um, LGBTQ folks were were talked about by your school? What you learned about the LGBTQ community at school, or how you know your school was your school a supportive place for for folks to be out? Um, I would say kind of the same as like what Bianca said, like, um, as far as like queer people being discussed or talked about, it was never really in a positive light at all. And as far as like, for me, like, I've never really had like a coming out because I apparently, I guess everybody knew before I did, but also as a child, you're not really focused on like am I queer? Am I not? You're just focused on trying to exist and trying to get through life, you know, and like show up to school and do your best and try to make your parents proud. So like that wasn't really a big like thing that I was trying to focus on. So, um, but yeah, just seeing like people who are queer or had queer values, like it was never anything positive. It was always like, you know, name calling or, um, you know, just trying to make you feel bad about yourself. So seeing shows like, RuPaul's Drag Race or like wa- turning on like the news or turning on the TV and seeing like Ellen DeGeneres who was like an uh, open and proud lesbian woman with a daytime uh, national syndicated talk show like that's like you know you see yourself kind of like in the media or people who like represent the same things you represent so it was not really like an easy thing but I didn't really let that get to me because also growing up and like having a very like church background like i grew up like very like black family baptist or like church of god in christ themed like uh family upbringing so like you know obviously you have gay members of the family um but it's always relating back or referring to like the bible and people love to use the bible as a way to kind of like um I, I honestly consider the the Bible to be like Ned's the classified school survival guide on how to be like a good person. But people love to use certain excerpts of the Bible to judge other people when the Bible or Jesus or whoever you believe in um, teach is the teaching is like, you know, you're supposed to love one another and like let uh, he or whoever 
who is without sin cast the first stone. So like people love to use like the Bible as a way to like make other people feel bad. And I am very adamant about requoting the Bible and like using it as a defense towards people who try to use that rhetoric because it's like, I grew up very, very churchy. I've read the Bible plenty of times. I know exactly what's going on from like Exodus, uh, Genesis to Revelations. I know exactly what's happening, but I think people take it too literal. Um, and yeah, that's kind of like where I stand with it. Thank you for, for speaking to that, speaking to your own background. And I think it's important for folks to hear an MMSD student, a former MMSD student say, just being in Madison doesn't make schools friendly, doesn't make being L- being out and LGBTQ okay, doesn't mean that being feminine um, is, is all right. So thank you so much for, for speaking to that. Natasha, I want to ask you about kind of some of some of the concerns around whether or not drag is appropriate and for who drag is is appropriate. Um, there was a teacher who came under fire in in our immediate area in the Dane County area for performing drag, um, not necessarily you know promoting drag amongst students or or amongst or during the school day, um, but being a drag performer themselves. I, I want to ask you, you know, as far as the reach of a, a district in terms of what is appropriate for educators to participate in, how does that get determined and, and defined? And what do you do to make sure educators know their rights, know that they have every right to be who they are, um, to talk about who they are, um, and that they have support? Well, that can be really slippery, right? And that's part of why I choose to stay in Madison um, because in other it, pe- this resonated with a lot of folks that I that I talk about this with, but um, there are places in this country where you can be fired for for being gay, like as a teacher, um, and that would that would never happen in Madison. Um, it's interesting to me. I wouldn't say never. I'm like that has happened in I, Madison. Oh, you're you're not wrong, but um, but MGI would fight like heck about yes, about and that. has and, and has in the and past. Has, yes. Um, I would say it's really interesting to say or to the idea that teachers should not participate in something like this. So I was I was I want to go back to what you were talking about with the feminist critique of of drag, because I think it's I think there's a couple interesting points there. I think, first of all, I don't see drag as being something that's inherently gay. Mm. Um, I think there are a lot of straight folks who are interested in drag. I think there are a lot of straight folks who participate, you know, who participate in, in drag events, who enjoy it very much. And I think as a teacher, I think one of my goals is to really make my students into critical thinkers. And a lot of drag is um getting us to question what it is that we consider to be femininity. And sometimes that's mocking because there are things in our society that are ridiculous. What what we consider to be a woman, how we perceive women to be, these are things that should be questioned. So if you have sort of concerns about a drag show, my argument would be that we have some concerns about the way gender is performed in our society in general. Mm. Um, I know we spoke earlier about, I actually miss misquoted, uh, it was not bell hooks, it was a woman named Judith Butler who um, theorized that we are all in drag every day. We are all in a constant performance of our gender identity. Um, and I think drag is not only the very artistic, you know, come together of, of lots of artistic visual skills, um, which is amazing to me. Like, uh, you know, I I'm identify as female, and I uh, the makeup is like I could I could never just just so you know, um, and I'm supposed to be I guess doing this from what puberty, <laughs> um, but I have no skills. Um, but I think that coming together to have that artistic performance of what we consider femininity to be in our society is a really important reflection right and and what what sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's enjoyable but maybe there are some things that make us go hmm maybe we should question that and that's that's what i want my students to do i would never tell them to think a certain way but to question all of the information that they have coming to them. That's the job of an educator. Absolutely, and I think if you have this conversation with students, students will easily point out, wait, the drag queen is wearing a lot more clothing than the boys wrestling team or the boys swimming team, right? Like the drag queen is is 
far less scantily clad than than some of our athletes. When you think about, you know, this this being canceled for sa- for safety, Pam, I'm going to I'm going to go back to you um, yeah. because I think there were some real concerns that um, that this was going to inspire hatred and violence. We have a caller on the line that says, I'm all in favor of allowing youth to perform, especially in non-alcoholic venues. I'm a person who lives in recovery from 12-step programs. The reason I need to be in those programs is because of the people that didn't allow me to be me. Can you talk a little bit about the risk of safety that is, you know, having this performance and and this performance drawing the attention of people who really um, hate the LGBTQ community with the balancing the dangerous of not having this performance, of not having safe spaces for LGBTQ youth. Um, I I talk about, you know, self-harm and suicide amongst LGBTQ youth on a regular basis. Can you elaborate a little bit about you know, the balancing act that there is when we're talking about safety for young people. Sure. I, it, it is a terrible balance to try to find. I mean, kids need to be able to, to experiment and to see what feels right for them as putting, like putting on and trying different identities and seeing what's right. But the idea that, you know, any of, any of our kids could be harmed. And I mean, the community was invited as well, that, there would be any kind of negative backlash is is scary. So when I heard about the event being postponed or canceled, it was it was it was both anger that other people would put that on our community and our kids, but that little bit of fear too, because I feel like being in Madison, we feel pretty protected between our kids and and ourselves and our family and friends. It isn't something that. I think any of us needs to worry about going out for a walk and holding hands with my wife or or anything like that at all. But as we've traveled and gone other places, like it is something that you're more conscious of. And the idea that somebody is bringing that and putting that on us here in Madison is is disturbing. It's amazing how fast you can go from kind of the the safety of your immediate community and like I know these people and these are my neighbors and they're going to stand up for my kid to to going wow. It's pretty easy for somebody to walk into a school and hurt people. Um, And we see that across the United States on a regular basis. And so I think some of those concerns, um, you know, make make something like this more stressful than it should be, more complicated than it should be. Um, I want to ask you, Bianca, somebody who performs drag, are you concerned for your safety on a regular basis? Do you worry about somebody walking into bingo um, and and having a problem with who you are as an artist? You know, <clears throat> we kind of touched base about this. Um, you know, being in Madison, I think we surround ourselves with um, kind of a, that protective bubble um, because we Madison's very liberal. Um, so I personally don't always feel, um, I don't always feel safe. Um, I do a lot of my bingos in the surrounding communities. Um, knowing that Madison is a little more liberal, um, I tend to do a lot of my events in like Perona, Paoli, Cottage Grove, Cambridge, um, uh, Cross Plains. That's typically where you'll see me is in those outskirts of the towns because I know that my work is done fine here in Madison, but I think that my work can be a little bit more done by educating some of those people in those smaller communities that do surround Madison that sometimes typically do have a more conservative um, group of people. Um, What I've been enlightened with is that a lot of those smaller communities are the events that are selling out for my for my events. So, you know, my bingo in Verona, I have 175 people that come and attend that event, which is phenomenal. In Paoli during the summer, it's an outdoor event and we have, we see nearly 300 people that come to that event. So it's really cool to see such great community coming together. Um, I will talk about an instance that happened in Sun Prairie and in Cross Plains. Both of those bar, both of those owners um, where I host bingo at and sometimes drag shows got written letters from community members stating that they needed to um, stop doing these sorts of events um, because it was bad for the community, bad for the youth. Um, and one of one of these people actually targeted 
um, one of the owner's granddaughters and said, is this really an image that you want your grandchildren to be looking up to? And that really struck home for all of us because we want to make sure that um, her grandchildren are educated and know what kinds of art forms are out there in the future for them. Um, but one of the things that I do that I do tell these owners is that if there's someone that comes in here and they are, you know, hateful, yelling bad things or saying this is a disgrace or whatever it may be, you have one hateful person that's coming in here and you have a hundred supportive people that will have your back for that business. We don't need that one hateful person in here. They're not going to bring you the business that you need. So just tell them that they're not welcome. You know, and you have all these hundreds of people that are here to support you and your business and you're doing great things. So in the end, I do feel particularly safe. Um, however, there have been a lot of things that have happened to our gay bars in the past. And I and it's not that I don't um, I do feel unsafe sometimes. I mean, you know, I perform a lot at Five Nightclub and the first thing that we do for every show is we we now acknowledge where the emergency exits are for everybody in case of something happening. So and we shouldn't have to do that, but we have to, and it's important to do that. So that is, that's what I have to say about all of that. Oh, I so appreciate you saying that. And I think I want to ask her, do you want to chime in? Yeah, I just... Um, so you're hearing from Natasha Sullivan with sorry. MTI. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in, in, as we're talking about this as an art form and, and the anger that people get when they're faced with this kind of criticism. It's, it's something I was thinking a lot about this morning, um, how we don't really encourage folks to self-reflect self or to be critical of their own identities and biases on a regular basis and how that comes out in anger and how that's really detrimental to our society. And I think we see that in terms of race, in terms of gender and sexuality. I think we see it in lots of realms, this sort of... Uh, anger that occurs when something is being criticized. And I, I, it's confusing to me, I think, because, um, you know, even as an educator, I constantly am self-reflective and critical of myself to make sure that I get better. And I, I would think that most folks want to be better people. So the anger to me about this kind of like a drag show is really the anger of having to self-reflect, right? Mm. Like thinking about how do I perceive sexuality? How do I perceive gender? Um, and and the not being in the habit of doing that. Um, and I think that's, that's, um, that's really sad for our society, you know, because I think that's part of being a better person, mm. a more loving person is, is self-reflecting and thinking about you know, the biases that we have. I think, like, I, I want to link into something you said about, you know, telling everybody at Club 5 where the emergency exits are. And immediately I thought about active shooter drills and how active shooter drills have become a regular part of our children's education, whether there's a drag show or not. Um, and, and really thinking about, you know, where where we are in terms of, you know, safety in our society. Anya, I want to ask you this question from a more intersectional standpoint, um, because I think being being a black queer person or being a queer person of color in Madison um, is different than than being a white person who is performing drag or is who is out of the closet. You know, thinking about your safety, um, what what are what are the factors that you have to consider in terms of per performing drag? Do you feel safer performing drag? Um, is it a risk to your safety that you think is worthwhile? What what does safety mean to you? Um, I would say thank you for that question. Um, I would say, honestly, you kind of touched on it as like being intersectional, not only just being a drag queen, but also a black queer person. Um, I just think it's just kind of like written. I don't even want to say written in the stars. I think it's just like common knowledge. At this point, which is kind of sad to say, but like as a black person, I don't feel safe anywhere that I go, but I can't let that inhibit me or my decisions or what I feel is best, not only for me or the work that I'm trying to do within the community. So um, I just kind of like pay it and I just pull myself up by my bootstraps and just continue going on. So for me, I wouldn't say safety is a thing that comes into factor um, when it comes to me deciding what I'm going to do or where I'm going to perform, I think it's just more so me using my own um, 
personal like compass of what I feel like is right or what I only do at this point, what moves me mm-hmm. and whether it's like me performing at a bar or me doing a benefit for, um, you know, uh, organization, whether it's like, um, I did a lot over the summer when there was a lot of the protests and stuff. So working with like, um, freedom Inc or free the 360. So I only do at this point now, uh, what moves me. So safety isn't really a thing that comes into mind. And maybe that's bad to say, but I just feel like as a person who's on the intersection of being black and being queer and being a drag artist, I just feel like I just have to do, um, or use my common sense on what I feel like is the best for me to do you know and there's going to be some form of risk in anything that we do but i just feel like me just using um my own intuition or what i feel like is right is what leads me um throughout those uh different things uh thank you so much for for speaking to that and for being so honest about just not feeling safe in in general and i would say as as a black person as a queer person in madison i similarly don't often feel like particularly safe, but there are degrees of safety for me. And for me, I'm like, I feel a lot safer at a drag show than I do at a football game. Um, and that that that's just, you know, the way that I experience the world and what it means to navigate my identity in a place like Madison, Wisconsin. If you're joining the conversation, give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9, or reach out to us on Twitter or on the a public affair page on Facebook. Um, we're talking about drag today and and we're having a pretty amazing conversation with some some great people. So we're talking about everything from safety to performance to, you know, what what makes something age appropriate. Pam, I want to lean into who you are as an educator because you are an educator. You work at my child's school. Um, and you're a great educator. And you work with elementary school kids. And one of the more controversial things that drag queens have been doing recently is reading books to little kids. Um, can you talk about why it is or is not age appropriate for elementary school students to have a drag queen read them a story? Oh, my gosh. Kids just love anybody reading them a story. And the fact that somebody's all full of glamour and, and everything in front of them is just part of the part of the entertaining value. I mean, it's it's just it's just the way someone is presenting who they are. And, you know, we see people looking all different ways out in public, you know, special events or, um, you know, plays and and opera and, and everything like it, it's it's part of a performance and getting kids excited it's like there's nothing that's developmentally inappropriate especially considering what else they can see on tv or hear in music or see around their neighborhood like it's more important to talk about it and to know that your kids can come to you and talk about anything they can ask questions i mean that's that's another great value to it it gets it gets families talking Oh, thank you so much for for speaking to that. And I think, you know, I I've tried really hard to understand what people who are afraid of drag are uh, afraid of. And I really struggle with that. So if you are out there and you are desperately afraid of children being exposed to drag, uh, I'm curious as to why. What do you what do you think is going to happen? So the number is 608-256-2001, extension 9. Bianca, I want to ask you, you know, is there... Uh, a a way in which you feel like you could feel safer performing drag? Like, what are the things that make a, a drag performance safer? Who are the folks who navigate the logistics of safety well? If you're going to do this at a school, what are the things you can do um, to promote that it is a safe, inclusive environment that's, you know, age appropriate for the young people in attendance? I think it's important that... Um you know, parents are visible and showing their support for um, events like this. Um, and especially our allies. Our allies are are, are, huge, are some of our biggest supporters. Um, not sure what the percentage of gay people is anymore at this point. Um, gay people as in a whole term, um, queer in general. Um, but I remember when I was growing up like 10% or something like that. So, it's definitely way more than that now because I feel like we've been able to kind of um, discover who we are as people and we're getting away from that, you know, gender standard, which is phenomenal. 
Um, so making sure that our allies are there to be supportive um, shows that it's going to be a safe space uh, and just you know making sure that the staff is also visible and that wherever this is being held that that ownership is also visible and making sure that the precautions are in place um, through their establishment so that when people are coming there for a show that they can have a way to escape if something were to happen um, in general. I hope that helps answer. I, I really appreciate that that answer and the thoroughness of, of your answer. I want to ask Natasha a, a similar question, but really leaning into, you know, how how do you take responsibility for making any school event safe? And what what is the responsibility of an educator to make sure that an event is safe and welcoming to to all people? Um. So one of the things that occurred to me as um, as we were talking about what makes a drag show itself more safe is is the person who's running the the owner of the space. Right. Um, My husband owns some small businesses across across the city. And um, I think one of the best ways to make sure that you have a safe space is to make it very clear what the standards are to to begin with um, and and to have people paying attention. So, you know, our bartenders, our, our you know, our um, managers are well aware of who's in the space, who might, uh, you know, show signs of being agitated. And when it's time to ask that person to leave, they're very attentive to the space. And I think it's similar for educators, right? Getting to know your students very well, um, you know, knowing what their triggers are, knowing um, who they are as people, what they're comfortable with. Consent is a very big part of that, right? Like knowing who likes to be, you know, comforted in a certain way, but doesn't want, you know, a different kind of way. It's really all about knowing who your students are. Um, So as much as you can know your student population, the better you're going to be able to handle certain social dynamics when an event like that happens. Um, So, you know, just having that that relationship, I think, is really important. Oh, thank you so much for speaking to the power of building relationships and communities in consideration of safety. I think that's something we do not talk about enough. Um, and I was literally relying on you to be the person to say that. So thank you um, for talking about that, Natasha. Anya, I want to ask, I think we take for granted in conversations like this that kids have affirming homes. Um, and one of the reasons I think it's so important to have affirming spaces within your education and your school is that there are a lot of kids who go home and are afraid to be who they are. Um, there's a lot of kids who know that their family will not accept uh, their gender, their sexuality, who they're interested in taking to prom. Um, can you talk a little bit, Anya, you talked about what it meant for you to, to grow up in the church. What, is, what does it mean for you to find spaces beyond your, your family um, that are affirming? Um, I would say to me, it just feels like, I don't know, it just feels like a homecoming when you find spaces where you know that it's like, I can walk in here, it doesn't matter what I'm wearing, it doesn't matter, you know, what I dealt with on the outside, I could come in here and I can be myself. And I feel like I've, I found that in certain aspects of the drag community, like my own personal drag family, but more so recently, I just um, started to venture into like ballroom. And for me, that is like, I walk into the meetings and I like, even if I'm having a bad day, it's just fun. It's, it feels like I'm seen. I don't feel like I have to do too much. I don't have to be anything other than myself. So um, I just feel like it's like, I don't know. It's just like you just open up a fresh bag of Skittles when you feel affirmed and you feel like you can just be okay and safe and not have to put on any front or facade of who you are, especially when it comes to like being queer or being around people who like, see you and validate who you are. Anya, I feel like we're all just like a little bit more in love with you after you said it's like open up a fresh bag of Skittles. I'm like, okay, take take my heart forever. Pam, I yeah. want to I want to ask you as we're kind of wrapping up, you know, there's folks who say drag is fine but school is not the place for it. School is the the space for learning about math and reading and um, you know, it, it doesn't belong in, in the classroom. It doesn't belong at school. Why is it important to you that kids do have spaces within their education to talk about their identity, to talk about their family, to learn about different communities? 
Sure. Because, you know, we're working on raising kids that are going to be a part of our community and making laws and taking care of each other. We need that space where kids can learn about who they are, who the people are around them, all, all aspects of their identity and, and sexuality and gender are two major parts of that. And kids need to know that who they are is loved and accepted and that they need to care about and accept and support people that are different from them and the same as them. And that there isn't, there isn't this better way to be. And this is, this is our community and this is what it should be. And that hopefully avoids that, that hatred. And I think that fear that comes up when they see somebody that is quote unquote different than them. Oh, thank you so much for for talking about that and talking about what it means to intentionally raise our kids to accept and embrace difference and accept and embrace one another. So hopefully that they're they're not throwing things at each other and they're not scribbling obscenities into one another's cars. Natasha, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to ask you a, a simi- similar place, but from a workplace perspective, when folks say, uh, hey, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot of as the teachers who want drag at school. I haven't talked a lot about the teachers who don't want drag at school, but there are teachers who say, I don't want this in my workplace. I don't want to have to talk about this. This goes against my religion, my faith, my upbringing. Talk to me a little bit about about those teachers and balancing the rights of people who have very different ideas. Um I think, like I said, I think when it comes to, you know, I'll argue lots of things, but when it comes to a person's identity, I, I'm i not going to argue that. And I think on a on a on the intellectual level, we know we know that we know from brain science. Zaretta Hammond calls it culturally relevant teaching. I call it just getting to know your students, but your students need to feel safe and supported in order to put themselves in the vulnerable vulnerable position that is learning. Mm. And if they don't feel that, they are not going to learn. So I would argue that if they want to be effective at their job, if they want to excel and succeed in educating children, it is important to do whatever we can to make sure that they feel safe and supportive and loved. I don't think... I don't think we could end on a on a better note than that. I think Natasha just got an amen from Pam. I want to thank Anya, Bianca, Pam, and Natasha for joining us today on WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is A Public Affair. I won't be with you next week, but Rochelle Wilson will, and she's the best, y'all. Huge shout out to our team that made today possible. 